Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group, Thursday night's Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Spencer with our joke. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I'm an alcoholic. All right, this is from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes and Cartoons from AA Grapevine. A slick city man driving past a small town picked up a drunken hitchhiker. As they were driving along, the drunk noticed a brown paper bag on the dashboard and inquired as to its contents. The city man replied, It's a bottle of wine I got it for my wife. The drunk, looking pensively down the road, nodded his head and solemnly said, Good trade. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. My name is Brandon. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise, that might will slash distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused and stay on the step, step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. Be 
Now, if you could please join me in doing the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact of every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Becca to come up here and read Spiritual Experience. Uh, we read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he, he, he is himself. He finally realized that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes a place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped on an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problem in the light of our experience can recover. Provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts, he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the, of the program, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essential of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Becca. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn it off. And tonight we have Pat Rogan. He's been here a couple times, and I'm excited to hear the message that he has tonight. Let's welcome Pat Rogan. This thing's high. <laughs> <laughs> I need a stool. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat. Uh, 
And thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me a new life worth living, and I absolutely love my life today. And I'm grateful to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I want to start off just by saying that, you know, I come here and I share my experience with, uh, with life and uh, with the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, with the program of AA. And, and, uh, and if you don't relate to that, don't judge AA by that. You know, if, if, if your experience isn't what my experience was or is, don't identify out. You know, uh, go listen to another speaker somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, I come from an emotional place, uh, very an emotional place. And uh, in my disease, my illness, if you will, uh, centers in my emotions and, uh, and always has centered in my emotions. And uh, I've, I've never had an easy time dealing with it. And, and, and that may sound like, well, uh, thanks for the hope, Pat, you know, and uh, <laughs> And the truth is, I still struggle with it. I, I do. I, I just uh, have found an alternative to uh, a drink and a drug. I, I, if I had known what alcohol was going to do for me at five, I would have drank at five. You know, I mean, I needed a drink at five years old, badly. I mean, really. I mean, I was a, uh, a very young teenager, if you will, contemplating suicide. Uh, before I before I found alcohol and drugs, I I, I don't know how to deal with emotions. Uh, I loved the effect produced by alcohol. I loved the effect produced by alcohol. Here's the rub: I couldn't live without the effect produced by alcohol. You know that's a problem. You know the solution in my life at 16 years old uh, came in a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. You know and. Uh, all that fear, all that anxiety, all that feeling less than, all that being not good enough, hey, Daniel, uh, all went away. You know, it disappeared. Uh, I, I, the promises that we read in this, in this book, in, in the ninth step, came true for me halfway through that bottle. Uh, I intuitively knew how to handle situations that used to baffle me. You know, I knew a new freedom and a new happiness, and I knew how my experience could benefit all of you, you know, and... <laughs> Up until that point, I didn't talk to anybody. I mean, I was always on the outside looking in. And, and, and look, I apologize if that's not your experience, because I know there's people that, you know, I drank for different reasons. You know, I drank because I needed to freaking drink, you know. And when you get here, when I got here, and I got here because that, st- because that wasn't working. That stopped working. And when that stops working, now what? You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm here. I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. For three months, dying inside, dying a slow death in the program of AA. In the, I'm sorry, in the fellowship of AA. Because I was not in the program. I was in the fellowship. You know, I was leaning on you. I was holding my breath for three months. And in three months, I can't live without the effect produced by alcohol. In any form, by the way. Alcohol was my drug of choice. But if you had something else that would enhance that, I'm down. You know. Just, just tell me what direction we're going. <laughs> hey, I'm the guy that does not enjoy Disney World. Do you know what I'm saying? Sober. I'm that guy. I'm that guy on the way to Disney World is going freaking traffic. 
you know, we're, we're going to have trouble parking. I know we're going to have trouble parking. We're going to have to park miles away. I mean, I'm finding a reason not to go to freaking Disney World, you know. The lines are going to be terrible. I mean, it's, I'm going to spend $300 to go stand in line. You know, I mean, that's me on my way to Disney World, you know. But if you give me some substances, you put a little, a little alcohol in my body, and I start to calm down a little bit, and then, if, you know, I'll go up or down no matter what direction we go. You know, we go up, we'll do all three parks in one day. You know what I mean? <laughs> we go down, I'll be just letting you in front of me. Go ahead. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. But I don't, do, I don't do Disney sober very well. Everybody annoys me. The crowds piss me off. You know, I, I'm just, that's me. And, and it's, that's a sad state. That's a sad state. And then it stops working, and then I get here, and I don't have anything to deal with my emotions. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. I don't, I'm an emotional cripple when I get here. And, and I'm, I'm falling apart inside. I'm, I'm that guy in Vision for You, right, who says how great his life is, but inside he's dying, you know, the whistling in the dark guy, you know. Yeah, how's it going? Oh, I never felt better. Sober for the first time in 20 years, you know. I haven't dealt with an emotion for 20 years. You know, that's really what the truth was. And now what? And now what? You took, you took my only solution away. My only solution that I had isn't working anymore, and I can't go there. And that makes me willing to listen to you. That's what made me willing to listen to you, because my other option was a gun, and that's the truth. And I had tried that solution a couple of two years before I ended up in AA. That didn't go well. Shot my waterbed. <laughs> That'll kill the moment. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> the sad part of that story is, the sad part of that story, that my son was in the other room. And that never even came to my mind. That never came to me. The, the effect that that would have had on my son never even entered my mind. All I thought was, that bitch is out there having a good time, and I'm stuck here with this child. That's a sad state. You know. But that's where I'm at when I get here. You know, and, and I, was willing, I was willing to listen. You couldn't scare me out. You know, you couldn't say God and make me run. You, I, I just, I didn't have anywhere else to go. Okay, whatever. You know, just tell me what to do. Because it's not 90 days dry. I can't hang in there anymore. And you guys introduced me to the program of action. <clears throat> and as I shared last week, as soon as I put pen to paper, as soon as I put pen to paper, I started to get relief. As soon as I started to see the truth. You know, the, the third step tells me what the truth is. I don't believe it. You know, you're selfish. You're self-centered. You're driven by fear, self-delusion, self-pity. You're a taker. You're trying to run the show. You're stepping on everybody's toes and they're retaliating. Well, no. What's the next line? They don't usually think so. You know, that's the next line. And that's what, right. But he usually doesn't think so. Because you know? I can't see it. I can't see it. I'm caught up in, in the feelings. I'm caught up in the emotions. I need something to fix that. 
And I, and for the first time in my life, I start to get some. I see the truth. Yes, they're right. And, that, and that's what the fourth step is, right? Are they right? Go see. Right? They're telling you this is true in the in the third step. All right, go go see if that's true. Don't do what I did and sit at the third step and wait for something to happen because nothing is well. You know, there are some people I know that have had some experiences doing the third step with their sponsor and getting up and feeling something. I didn't. Right? But I will tell you this: without action. The third step isn't attainable, and without action, if you got something at the third step, it's not sustainable. It won't stay, and the book warns us of that, that sometimes an effect is produced, but it won't last. We've got to get down to causes and conditions. We've got to get down to what's really going on in my life, what's really going on inside of me. That what's, what is this spiritual malady that they're talking about? That's where the problem lies, this internal condition. Mark Houston said it. When he said internal condition, I went, oh, yeah. I know. I couldn't. I didn't, it was a spiritual malady. What the hell is that? But when he's talking about this internal condition, this torment, this anxiety, yeah, I know what that feels like. And as soon as I, I shared with you guys last week, as soon, two weeks ago, I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving, by the way. And... Uh, I share with you guys, as soon as I started to write that fourth step, and really, in the fourth step, at the beginning of the fourth step, we're not even taking our inventory, we're taking theirs, right? Who are you pissed off? Who am I pissed off at? What did they do to me? How did they affect me? I'm not even looking at my part yet. I'm not even looking at what I did, or how I was the cause of this, this carnage, you know? But as soon as I get it on paper, look at it, I go, oh my God, that's stupid, you know? How could you be pissed off at the police? They were called to the scene, you know. You assaulted her. How could you be pissed off that she's taking the house? She's trying to protect her kids. She's trying to, you're trying to kick your children out of their room. I mean, the truth just starts to surface. And I start to get relief right there. But there's more. And what they get to, and I, I love it. You know, Bill Wilson is a character, man. He, he writes that resentment is the number one offender, and then he brings up fear. What he say? It's the evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. There was the demon. There was, there's my enemy right there. I've been dealing with it all my life. I still deal with it. You've given me tools to deal with it. Fortunately, I don't have to turn to a drink or a drug to deal with it. But it's a constant battle for me. And, uh, you know, and there's people that won't identify with that, and there's people that will. You have no idea what I feel on the way here to speak at this meeting, you know. Any meeting, anytime I'm speaking, I speak a lot. And, and I would think that at some point that fear of speaking would go away. But three decades later, it's still scares the shit out of me, you know? And, and, I, and I ask myself every time I'm on my way here or anywhere is, why do I do this shit, you know? <laughs> and I know why I do it. Because I could never pay you guys back for what you've given me. Never. I could never do enough service to, give back, to, get, to pay off my debt. I mean, what I have been given has been a true miracle. To be, to be sober as long as I'm sober, it's just, it baffles me. It baffles me. But fear is the deal. And I don't, you know, I, I don't even know where it comes from. I, I don't know, you know, my childhood was a, was a mess. You know, I was, uh, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I ended up divorced 15 years sober, which 
really defines me. <laughs> I can't hold a marriage together drunk or sober. <laughs> Problem. But I ended up, uh, my sponsor at the time had me do a timeline and look back, uh, which is really a, a, a interesting assignment, and take increments of my life and look at you know, the first five years, the next five years, the next five years, and look at and write down significant events, you know. And I started looking at my childhood, and man, I could start to see where the fear was coming from, you know. This, uh, you know, my mother and father were constantly splitting up. I lived in so many different houses, you know. I, w- I was at my grandmother's. I was at my Aunt Mary's. I was at my Aunt V's. I stayed with my Aunt Betty. I stayed with my Uncle Frank, you know. Uh, the Gleisters down in Wilkinsburg, PA, where I found my fear of roaches, and, uh, you know, and I was bounced around, you know, and then my mother and father would get back together, and then we'd, get, we'd be the happy family again, you know, and then all hell would break loose, and then I'd be living somewhere else. I went to five different schools in my first five years of school, you know, five, I mean, completely different neighborhoods, you know. You tend to not fit in. You tend to not make friends, you know. You, you, the fear settles in, and, uh, <laughs> I always laugh about the roaches. Uh, I, I used to wonder why. I, I got this really this thing about the, I don't know why they call them German cockroaches. If you're German, no offense. But <laughs> not the palmetto bugs. They don't bother me. Those, those Buicks, they don't bother me. But the, those, those, those little bastards, you know, those little filthy roaches, those things, you know. And I used to wonder why I had this terrible phobia about these roaches, you know. I mean, I deny that they exist. My wife tells me there's a roach in I said, no, there's not. <laughs> you know? No, there is not a roach in I. No, I saw a roach. No, you did not. You saw a palmetto bug. No, it was a little... Stop. You know, just call the bug man, you know. Tell him you saw a palmetto bug, you know. And, uh, but I remember staying at my, uh, my Uncle John's house... And in the, and I was when my mother and father would break up, I'd end up there, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, and there would be these roaches all over the walls, you know, and I just couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I just was scared to death, and you know, I would end up peeing in the bed or you know whatever, and and that would cause a whole other scene the next morning, and it just, you know, those, uh, you know, my father coming home not knowing whether he was going to beat the shit out of my mom or take us camping. You know, who knew who was going to show up, you know. And, that, and that's true stuff. I mean, that's just real life. You know, you just never know who was going to show up. And, and, and I, I think I shared with you guys, halfway to camping, the shit might hit the fan. My, my, my mother might ask him something stupid like, where'd you get this car, you know. <laughs> and he'd have to explain that the mortgage money went to the car. And then all hell would break loose. With the three of us, I actually remember my dad kicking my mother out of the car in the middle of the woods in northern Pennsylvania. And the three of us looked at each other. There was three of us at that time. Looked at each other. Said, well, <laughs> mom's gone. You know, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Not why I'm an alcoholic, by the way. Uh, maybe I needed. Why I needed a drink. It might. I would like to say that it would create a slightly nervous disposition in a child. You know, and probably why I needed a couple of drinks, and uh, at five. <laughs> but. Uh, but I'm an alcoholic because I can't stay stopped when I want to stay stopped. And I, once I start, I can't control the amount I take. That's what defines me as an alcoholic. But I need something to overcome the fear. 
I need something to do. And then they, they give me the same delusion. I mean, they, they asked me to inventory it just like I did with, uh, with resentments. You know, why, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? What part of me is affected? And what am I doing possibly to help the fear come on, bring the fear to life? You know, what am I? Is there something I'm doing? Is there something I could do to avoid the fear? You know? And I think like most of us, right, we do a fear list. Most of it's imagined, right? Most of it's not right here, right now. You know, we have these paradoxes. You know, I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of failure. You know, I'm afraid of relationship. I'm afraid I'll never be in a relationship. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose the relationship. I'm afraid I'm never going to get one. You know, I'm afraid I'm never going to have a job. We get the job. I'm afraid I'm going to lose a job. You know, this, this alcoholic paradoxville that we live in. You know. But who was it? Mark Twain that said that most of the things that I was afraid of all my life never even happened. You know? And that's true. Most of my fears are imagined. And, I, and I'm not sure why my mind even goes there. I'm not sure why while I'm on my way to a customer, I predict how that job or that customer is going to be. I don't know why I, how, what makes that mind go that way. You know? what, what, what imagines the worst case scenario before I go there. I mean, I'm not sure why that comes up. I'm on my way to a house to do something that I've been doing for 43 years professionally. But my mind will say, this is not going to go well. You know, this is going to be a mess. You know, look at the neighborhood. Look at the house. You know, it just... Real or imagined, right? Fear is real or imagined. And most of mine are imagined. And I have to remember that. I have to keep pulling myself back. The solution that they give me in the fear inventory is the same solution that they give me in the resentments, and that is God. And I I like to say that uh, I don't... I'm at a point in my recovery now where I'm not expecting the fear to ever go away completely, but I do have the ability to walk through it. I do have the ability to identify it as being false, you know, and asking God to walk me through it. And I I believe that that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is the ability to walk through it, even though the fear exists. And, uh, And you guys have given me that. This program has given me that, you know, that ability. I mean, I get up, anybody but me get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, shit. You know? Does anybody do that? Am I the only one that does that? Right? Nothing's happened yet. I haven't, even, I, haven't even got, I haven't even made it to the kitchen for coffee yet. You know? My next thought is, thank you. Thank you. But I've learned that here. You used to be, shit, this is going to suck. You know? And then start predicting the day. You know? But now it's shit, and then thank you. Thank you for another day sober. And then the third step prayer comes right after that. You know, get me out of me. Get me out of me. You know, show me who I can help. You know, let me bear witness to you. You know, remove me of the bondage of me. You know, and then I start my day. <laughs> I shared with you last week, then I got to merge <laughs> on the sawgrass. <laughs> then resentments start. <laughs> I got to read something. This is one of my favorite readings I got. Uh, I have this one reading that I do every day. It's uh, Nikki Gumbel is the one who writes it, but uh, it's not AA stuff, but it's pretty cool. And, and she wrote this one time, and uh, it says, at one level, fear is healthy. Fear is an emotion induced by a perceived threat, right? It's a national, natural human emotion. It's God-given. It's a, it's a basic survival mechanism. It keeps us alive, and it protects us from danger. 
right? So there's healthy fear. Just like there's good resentments. Really, you can learn from resentments. I've learned to learn from resentments, you know? I don't let them rent space in my head very long. I don't let them rent, take, take over the rest of my life because I'm pissed off at you. I learn from it. I inventory it and learn from it. There are, there are a lot of them that I've learned from. I, I've been called out on some stuff that I've said from the podium and, you know, and immediately got a resentment because you didn't agree with me. You know? And I've gone out of line. I've said some stuff that was out of line. I've said some stuff I should not have said. I've said some stuff about particular drugs from the podium years ago that I had no right to say. And somebody finally called me out on it. And I got pissed off about it. But on the way home, I inventoried it. And I went, holy crap, they were right. You have no doctor degree. Who are you to say anything about any drug from any podium? You have no right. And I went back and apologized that and never did from again. So we can learn from it. And the same with the fear. You know, the fear of if you can't see when you walk out of the house, that's a healthy fear. You know, but there's a solution to that. Turn the light on. Get a flashlight, right? We, there's a solution. If it, but if you prevent you, as it's going to say here, if it prevents you from ever leaving the house because it's dark out, there's the phobia, right? However, there's also such a thing as unhealthy fear. The Greek word commonly used in the New Testament is phobos, which, which we get the word phobia, an unhealthy fear. It's a, it's, it is disproportionate to the danger posed, right? An exaggerated fear. It's false evidence appearing real. They stole our stuff. It's when we catastrophize. We overestimate the danger and underestimate my ability to cope. Common phobias include fears in relation to health, finances, failure, growing old, death, loneliness, rejection, messing up, public speaking. Right? Number one fear in the world, by the way, is public speaking. And the first thing we do with these insecure alcoholics is stick them at a podium and, and have them tell their story, Right? Flying, heights, snakes, spiders. They also include things such as what we call FOMO, the fear of missing out or the fear of not being special, right? The fear of not giving what I want, the fear of losing what I got, the fear you're going to find out who I really am, that this fake self is going to be revealed and you're going to find out who I really am. In my own life, I've experienced many fears from the fear of roaches to panic attacks to other irrational fears fear of speaking, and the fear of doing anything that might dishonor our program, right? I don't ever want to come up to this podium. There's, that's part of the fear is to either disrespect or, or not communicate properly what our program really is. Right? Whereas, this, <laughs> whereas the spirit of God does not produce negative fear, there's a kind of healthy fear, the fear of God. This does not mean being frightened of God. In fact, it means just the opposite. It is an underestimating of who God is in relation to us. It means respect, reverence, awe, honor, adoration, and worship. It could even be translated as the love of God. It recognizes the power, majesty, and the holiness of God. It leads to a healthy respect of God and is the antidote to all other fears and phobias that we experience in life. Fear God, you need not fear anything else or anyone else. And I love that. I love that line. Love God and fear nothing. You know? And that really is what keeps... I'm, there's, there's some more reading to it, but it gets very uh, secular, if you will. So we won't go there. <laughs> so 
So I've learned to trust God and walk through the fear. And then again, I experience more God, right? I experience some God, and when I do my resentment inventory, I do my fear inventory, and I realize I have a solution to the fear, or the fear is not real. And now I've got more God in my life. And the transformation is taking place in my life as I look at these truths on these inventory. I'm starting to, Charlie Palmer used to call about that we have this stock room that's full of damaged goods. And as we remove the damaged goods, God enters. As, as we remove the hate, love enters. As we remove the fear, courage enters. And, I, and that's where the transformation started taking place for me. Spiritual experience, if you will. Spiritual awakening, if you will. Personality change, if you will. It starts to change. It starts, as, as the resentment inventory said, we start to look at life from a different angle now. It's not coming at me anymore. You know, I'm not avoiding it anymore. I'm not dodging life anymore. I am participating in life. I am part of life. And that's, that's something that I didn't even recognize in myself right away. People had to point it out to me, that you're changing, that I see something different. These are family members that are seeing me show up different. I'm not showing up as a taker anymore. I'm actually bringing something to the party. The last inventory uh, they have us take is the uh, sex inventory, which I like to call a relationship inventory. And uh, in pursuit of sex, I like to tell my guys that we want to we want to know. And this is a different inventory. This is not who hurt me. This is who I hurt. And uh, different questions: Who did I hurt? What did I do? What well, what instinct was I trying to satisfy? What emotions did I bring out in them? How did I make them feel? And what tools am I using to navigate this instinct? Like in consideration, dishonesty, selfishness, fear, those kind of tools. Those are the tools that I use to navigate my life before I got here. It's all about me. What's in it for me? How much is mine? What about me? And it's it's an... Interesting inventory. Who did I hurt in pursuit of relationships? It's not necessarily people that I had sex with either. In pursuit of relationships. I could be in a relationship and pursuing another one and never have had sex with them but hurt the person that I was in a relationship with. The, the sex instinct is an interesting... You know, and it's, I love what the book starts with. We're not going to get into this. We're not going to get into a controversy on whether we should have it, shouldn't have it, any of that. You know, because all of us, I don't. We're, I can see some different eras in this room here, right? I grew up in an era where it was sinful and for reproduction only, and with one way, with one person, uh, and only in marriage. You know, and uh, that's the way I was taught. And if you violate that, you're going to fire. You know, you're going to hell. Maybe purgatory. Maybe the halfway. <laughs> and then I grew up in the 70s. Free sex, right? Anyone, anytime, anywhere, any position. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. No reason to get married. Right? What a conflict. You know, what a conflict. Once again, principles versus pleasure. You know? Principles versus pleasure. Right. And I was up against that all the time when it came to the sex instinct, right? Am I going to follow principles or pleasure? I chose pleasure. 
every single freaking time. And if I was if I was battling which direction I should go, have a couple more drinks, right? <laughs> have a couple more drinks, take another hit, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden it leaned towards pleasure. And that's in every area of my life. I never took into consideration who I might hurt, what principle I might be violating, what law I might be violating. Hence, I went to jail a lot. They didn't apply to me. My uh, sponsor, Garrett, used to say, alcohol would give me permission to violate your principles and mine. And then later it would give me absolution. Alcohol let me do anything I wanted to do. And I wish I could blame it on alcohol because I could act out sober. I could get on that same road sober. Maybe not to that degree. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to step six and seven, how the road narrows after you're around here for a while. You know, right? What was acceptable when you got here is no longer acceptable at five years. Right? And at five years, what was acceptable at five, at ten years, that's no longer acceptable. And that road just starts narrowing. Yeah. It's a driving force. I love that, uh, that Bill writes a paragraph about us being human right after he does the sex inventory, right? Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal right? and stumble. You know, Bill's going to tell us, like, look, by the way, we're human. By the way, we're human, and we're driven by these instinctual drives. And they're a driving force, and there's going to be spiritual warfare that's going to go on along the way. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does that mean we're going to get drunk? And this is not always. Not always. If we know what we did was wrong, and we ask God to take us to better things, then we'll be all right. We'll get back on track. But if we continue to, do behave, continue to partake in behavior that is violating ours and someone else's principles then we are surely going to drink. And he says, this is a fact out of our experience. Or if if nothing less, live a life of quiet desperation in the rooms of AA. I mean, what could be more painful than that? Sitting sober with guilt, remorse, and shame. And not have a solution to that. Now, I will say this. There's bells you can't unring. (laughs) You can't unring the cheat bell. You can't do that. You do that, you're either going to risk the relationship or your recovery. One of the two, right? You're going to have to make a choice at some point. Can I live with this? Can I live with this shame, with this guilt? Or not? And if I can't, I'm going to have to blow up the relationship. Possibly blow up the relationship. So I have to watch... I have to be really careful in the roads that I go down in this area, and in, in most areas, but in particularly this area. Because I am one bad decision of blowing up a beautiful marriage. <laughs> Just one bad decision blowing up a beautiful marriage. I mean, somebody that I really, really, really care about. You know? And I don't have permission to do that anymore. I can't get permission to do that anymore through the bottle. I've got to live a principle-based life. And that's what this is all about. When the third step, that's what we've decided to do. Find out where are we violating principles, spiritual principles, if you will. 
And how am I going to reel that in so that I don't have to walk around pissed off at everybody and afraid of who I'm going to run into or full of guilt, remorse, and shame from the people that I've harmed, the loved ones that I've harmed? These are the things that are getting me drunk. This, those are the emotions that are getting me drunk. I have to somehow eliminate the conflict in my life. I have to stay out of as much conflict. Look, we'll, we'll get into 6 and 7 next week, but the reason why I build us to spend much time on 6 and 7 is because there's 10. Because <laughs> there's step 10. Because we're, gonna get, we're just going to become real aware of them right here. We're going to realize that we're powerless over them. We're going to ask God to remove them, and then we're going to go on and start making amends, and then 10, we're going to keep that crap in check. Right? We're going to work on that minute to minute. Right? That's why there's six or seven isn't eight pages like it could have been. Right? What is it? It goes from six lines to seven pages in the 12 and 12 in step six. It goes from seven lines to seven pages in step seven. We got 13 pages on six and seven. We got two paragraphs in the big book. Because Bill says, this is who you are. You can't do anything about it. Now let's deal with it in 10. Let's deal with it in 10. Because I'm going to have to be working on that crap minute to minute. But here's where I stumbled. I'm done with my fourth step. I'm feeling pretty good. I got to do five. I don't trust you. I don't trust anybody. I don't trust the two people I should have been able to trust unconditionally. Why would I trust you? As much as I owe Brian my life for bringing this book to my attention, for for introducing me to the program, I shared with you guys how that happened. I had been visiting the fellowship. I didn't know that. I thought I'd been in the program. He introduced me to the program. And if you're confused, this is the program. Welcome to the fellowship. That's the difference. We're here to support you and read this to you (laughs) and take you through the program of action. That's our job. So as much as I owe Brian my life, I didn't trust him. I I used to sit at Denny's and gossip with you guys. My fifth step will be on the table at Denny's next week. Gossip kills in these rooms. If you're doing it, stop it. My rule is if they're not there, we don't talk about them. That's it. As soon as somebody's name comes up, they're not here. Done. So a guy reminds me, we were both members of the same home group, the Boca Boys Club, which started early in my recovery. It started in the mid-90s. And I had been going to, but not really that big of a member of it. But when I got a resentment... At the, uh, I don't want to mention the name, <laughs> at the clubhouse that uh, I was part of putting together, uh, I ended up uh, a member of that group, and uh, it became my home group for many years. But uh, but these guys were on me about doing my fifth step. And and by the way, just a reminder: why are we doing that? You know, the, the first lines in the fifth step remind us of why we're doing that, because I think we lose track of that when we're doing the fourth step. We're, we are here to create, a, to create a relationship with our creator, right, and find the obstacles in that path, right? That's why we're doing this. We're trying to clear away what is blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit. This is a, this is a program of subtraction. We get here with everything we need. We deep down within every one of us, is the fundamental idea of God. 
If there's anybody else, I'd say something, but I'd love that guy. <laughs> Deep down in every one of us is the fundamental idea of God. It's about getting to it, about getting to it. It's about getting however you define that. It's about removing the things that are blocking me from that relationship. And we all know that, a conscience, the soul, the part of you that knows that it knows. We know right from wrong. Inherently, we know right from wrong. We all have a conscience, unless you're a sociopath. Yeah. We all know when we've done wrong and feel bad when we do wrong. We all feel guilt, remorse, and shame. You know, that's God. Right? That voice that tells you put the cart back. That voice that says pick up the litter. The voice that says I should stop and help them. But we don't always. That voice. It's about peeling the onion. It's about removing the things that are blocking me from that sunlight, from that relationship. And they remind us that at the beginning of the fifth step. Admit to God, to ourselves, another human being. For God, I needed forgiveness. I needed mercy. And I have an understanding of myself now, admitting to me. I know the truth about me now. And here's where it gets risky, sharing it with somebody else. This is the first time I had to take a risk in this program. First time I had to risk anything. At this point, I didn't even have to leave the house. Up to this point. Now I got to actually ask somebody if I can share my life story with them. That's scary. That is scary. And by the way, this is a sacred trust. If, you, if you're here in fifth steps, keep it to yourself. Don't ever even insinuate that you've shared. I, I, won't, even, I won't even share parts of somebody's fifth step that I've heard, even if they're not in the room. And if they're in a room, I won't, hear, I won't share anything about fifth steps because I don't want them to think possibly that I'm talking about them. Yeah. It's a sacred, sacred, sacred trust. It's something that's usually reserved for psychiatrists and psychologists and the clergy, ministers, rabbis. Yeah. And we get to do that. Take it serious. It's sacred. You violate that, by the way. You're useless here. Yeah. Never, I would never. So this home group, this book of boys is on me about doing this fifth step. You know, when are you going to do your fifth step? You know, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. So to shut them up one night, I called St. Andrew's Church in Coral Springs at 11 o'clock at night thinking nobody would pick up the phone. And Father Quinn picked up the phone. And St. Andrew's, and I go, oh, my God. I said, "Uh, I'm an alcoholic, and that's all I had to get out. And he said, oh, and you want to do a fifth step. You know, (laughs) be in my office tomorrow morning, 930, right? He knew, I didn't know it at the time, but the Coral Springs group had been meeting there for years. And uh, if you wanted to talk to him, he knew what you wanted to talk about. And uh, I spent two and a half hours with Father Quinn the next morning. And my life forever changed. Uh, It'll sound silly to some of you, and some of you maybe have had a similar experience. Uh, I think it's it's Eckhart Tolle that says, uh, when you walk into a room for the hundredth time, and you see it for the first time, you know, that kind of an experience, you know, that I walked out of his office into the courtyard that I had walked out into hundreds of times. I'd been to church at that church many times, many years. And I walked out into that courtyard and I saw it for the first time. I mean, flowers, bright red flowers, bright yellow flowers, bright green trees and bushes. It was incredible. I mean, I was just fat. I was going to work, and I'm looking around. I go, these trees are everywhere. 
you know. Like I had realized that I had been looking at asphalt and bumpers my whole life. I had been staring at the ground. I never acknowledged you or anybody around me. I didn't even give you a head bob. I was staring at asphalt and bumpers you know, in that light. Because when that light goes yellow, this one's going to go green. You know? And I mean, you could have died in the car beside me. I would have never noticed. Dark to light. I'm going home that night, and I'm looking at this gorgeous sunset, and I can't wait to tell the lady at the toll booth, right? I get to the toll booth, I look at her, I said, look at that. She said, what? I said, look at that. And she goes, yeah, it's a sunset. It's there every night. (laughs) I had been driving it for 12 years. I never saw it. 12 years I had been driving that sawgrass and never saw it. It was a Lazarus moment for me. It was uh, my life forever changed. My life forever changed. I got the solution that this book talks about. The great fact is just this and nothing less that God had entered, that I had had a deep and effective spiritual experience that day that had revolutionized my life. The central fact of my life that day was that God had entered my heart and began to live in a way which is indeed miraculous and commenced to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that was stay stopped. It was more than that. It was more than that. By the way, the obsession was lifted that day. I have never had the obsession to pick up a drink or a drug since that day. Not telling you I haven't thought about it. I stubbed my toe. I think Vicodin. You know. <laughs> my next thought is ibuprofen. You know? In the back of my mind, I still know that shit works. <laughs> and I still remember that feeling when it kicks. I know you do too. <laughs> that... Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then all hell breaks loose, and that truth I know, that truth I know, I can see the truth in it today. I don't believe any lies. That's the insanity we're talking about. When we're talking about being restored to sanity, we're talking about the ability to see it through, the ability to see the truth in it. And the truth is, you're going to blow up your life. If you're the real addict and alcoholic sitting here, the truth is, you're going to blow up your life. The lie is, it's going to be different. But I don't believe that lie anymore. But I want to tell you this. It was the first time in my life, first time in my life, that I was at peace without a substance in my body. I was amazed. I, I, I wanted to keep that moment forever. Now, we know it wasn't going to last forever. But I wanted to stay in that moment. And that's what the rest of this is about. How do I stay in that moment? Or, or at worst, how when I get out of that moment, do I get back to it? How do I get back to it? I was the first time I was conflict-free for a moment. You know, for a moment. And this book, the rest of this program, teaches me how to stay there. How can I stay conflict-free? Or how, when I get into conflict, can I get out of the conflict and get back to a peace? That was a miracle for me. And now I've been, I've been chasing that. I, I have been chasing that since then. You know, I want more of that. I want more of that. I want that peace without a drug, drink or a drug in my body. I had that spiritual experience that Bill describes in the big book. You know, some have it at five, some have it at three. I told you, some, I've heard people have it at three. Some have it at nine. Some have it in the educational variety that we read at the beginning of the meeting. Some have it as a result of incorporating 10, 11, and 12 in their life. You know, I had it, I had it at five. I found another option to drugs and alcohol. 
That's what I needed. When the fear sets in, which it does, what are my, what's my option? God is my option. But here's the deal. It's just not me and God. It's me and you. Because God works through you. It's not just me, God, and you. It's me and my sponsees. Because God works through them. It's not just me, you, God, and my sponsees. It's me and my sponsor. Because God works through my sponsor. I've got four freaking options at any given time to find God. And there's more. I go to my church. I feel God. I go to Church by the Glades. I feel God. I, go, I was at my son's church up in Jacksonville this weekend at South Point. I feel God there. I have so many options now other than a drink or a drug. My sponsees thinks I'm calling to see how they're doing. I'm trying to get out of my shit, you know. I call and say, hey, how's it going? And they go, oh, thanks for calling. I said, yeah. I was just falling apart a minute ago. You know, <laughs> now I feel great. And I want to tell you something. Uh, Kirk, we were talking about it when I got here. Sometimes this is the only thing that makes any sense to me. My day is just blowing up. I just can't wait to get here and just sit in this room with you because you guys bring God to this room. You guys bring, I feel it. You know you do too. Anybody, come on, you, you, you know, the, the day is just falling apart. The day is just crazy. And you sit down in this room and you go, it's all good. At least for an hour. You know, at least for an hour, it's all good. That's God. That's God entering our hearts. Don't miss it. Bishop Barron always talks about missing the epiphanies, these epiphanies that happen over and over and over again, and we just take them for granted. You know, these gorgeous sunsets and these, these aha moments and these chills that we get when somebody says something or when we share something, or just sitting down in this room and feeling the power in this room. Don't discount that, man. That's powerful. I'm lusting for that now. You know, I used to lust for the things of the world. I used to lust for the attention and for the vehicles and for the houses and the sex. And I'm lusting for more of this. I've been chasing more of this for over three decades now. And I got a long way to go. Hey, look, I'm nowhere where I was. I'm a lot further than where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. I got a lot, I got a lot of work to do still. You know? But I'll tell you what, it just keeps getting better. Just keeps getting better. You know? So it take, you know, that mustard seed of faith, that willingness to believe what Brian was telling me was true, and, and just taking that, that leap of willingness to say, I really have no other choice. Let me try what you got. And put pen to paper, and the miracle took place for me. And it will for you. It will for you. But you got to do some specific, precise, exact clear-cut directions to have it happen for you. It's outlined right here. If you, if you do what they did, if you do what we did, you'll get what we got. I think our, I think our success rate here is 100%. Of the people who live it, of the people who work it and then live it, you don't see them go out. You know who you see go out? What, they, what, they, what do you hear? Stop going to meetings. Okay? Stop praying. Stop sponsoring people. Okay? All of a sudden, they're got up in a resentment. Or they step outside of principles. And they're walking around with the guilt and the shame. And you know what the solution is? You know who has the solution to that? 
the bartender, and the drug dealer. Right? We were talking. I was in an. I know I got to add, but I was in an anniversary meeting uh, Tuesday, and the, and the guy was talking about. You see a lot of one, two, three, and then there's a gap. And he said ten. I said, guess what? You see a lot of ten, fifteen, twenty, and then there's a gap. You know why is that? How can somebody get fifteen? 17, 18, 19, 20 years sober and drink. Because they got this. They got this. Right? They stopped giving it away. I don't need all that meetings I was doing before. Start backing off. What, you know, but I, I think it was Pastor Dave that said it one time. We tap into this source that gives us these resources. And then we start worshiping the resources. We forget about the source. Right? This source gives us these gifts, and then we worship the gifts and forget about where they came from. I don't ever want to forget that. That's part of why I show up here every Thursday night. So thanks for letting me be here tonight. Let's thank the speaker again. And let's have Ryan with our secretary's report. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm your alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. As the baskets are going around, I've asked Guy to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Guy. Hey Guy. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem, the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forties style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a seventy-five plus percent success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor if you could raise your hand? No? If you're too shy to raise your hand, just come stand awkwardly up by the piano after the meeting and someone will come talk to you. Um, can the recovered alcoholics raise your hands? Awesome. If your hand's not up, just talk to someone whose hand is and someone will come talk to you. Uh, oh, this is the last meeting of the month. Um, so is anybody ce- was anybody celebrating in the, year, in the month of November? What's your name and how many years? Uh, 
applaud. Any other November celebrants? No. All right. Uh, we have a couple announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. The Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Is anybody here a member of BCIC? Oh, join us next Thursday for Pat... Pat R's six, right? Six session. Sounds good. Um, and then we'll be having Tom M starting January 4th. Um, he'll be doing a series for us for a couple weeks, so definitely want to come check that out. And Monday nights we have our big book study actually in this room uh, starting at 715. Fellowship starts at 630. Uh, so come have some cookies. And that's it. All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the piano over here. If you're interested in any of that, just see any home group member. And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thanks, and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle. Uh, we're going to close with the Lord's prayer in your seats. So who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
now growing vines they twist and turn each way flowers blooming all the time outside my door song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Thank you very much, Minneapolis. Have a very good night.